Welcome to In My Headache, I'm Aaron Rhodes. And I'm Bill Brownlee. Aaron is the oldest member of Gen Z. Bill is the world's youngest baby boomer. Aaron and I argue about, and sometimes agree on, the music we love and hate on In My Headache. In each episode, Bill and I debate the merits of two new albums and one vintage recording. In this edition of In My Headache, Aaron and I evaluate new albums by the pop juggernaut The Weeknd and the art rock outsider's spelling. We also inspect Raw Blues, Johnny Taylor's 1969 album on Stax Records. In My Headache is brought to you by The Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76 and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri, USA. I love to say USA at the end of stuff. It's, just, it's fun. It's like, yeah, we all we all know what country we're in, but I'm I'm still gonna say it, it has a has a ring to it. You know, it's like why all the you know they you know all those '80s hardcore bands they they're three three letters. You know, you got SSD, DOA, and USA. That's 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 one of them. That's a you know the the rule of thirds. It's it's a great rule. I don't know if Canada would be K-A-N in that case. No. But that's where Abel Tesfe is from. He, of course, is the man with a stage name, The Weeknd, who has dominated pop music in the previous decade, uh, a rise to stardom that culminated in his halftime performance at the 2021 Super Bowl, a game in which the Kansas City Chiefs were wiped out by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And full disclosure, right around that time, last February, uh, he released a greatest hits album called uh, The Highlights. And even though I'd listened to each album and mixtape by the weekend previously, this greatest hits package was the first The Weeknd album I absolutely loved beginning to end, all 77 minutes of it. So I guess I'm just a that basic listener when it comes to the weekend. And that's why I'm so thrilled, Aaron, that the biggest pop star in the world has released on January 7th, a pop album about death. So naturally I'm all about it. You're, you're pretty into death bill do you do you consider yourself a, a goth in in some some manner well it's not so much that i'm a goth or a, a person who wears black and you know heavy eye makeup although that would be a definite improvement but i'm actually you know if if i died tomorrow people would say well i guess he was a little bit younger than he should have been but you know yeah that's coming i'm you start thinking about death when you're my age. Yeah, you know, Bill, I, you know, last week, you know, a couple of days before this album was released, I, I turned 25 and I, I felt a, a similar way. I'm like, I feel like the end is near. Well, at some point, your body is going to start telling you the end is near. It, it, sure, it sure freaking is. That's that's what that's all we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> no, but you're you're right. This album is about death or 
as um, Abel Tesfe put in, um, I believe, an excerpt from an interview that I read, he, he described it as um, something of a, a purgatory album, more, more so than one about death. He, he described it as like, you're, you're, listen, you're in your car in a traffic jam in purgatory, and this is the, the radio station playing in that traffic jam. And, um, on the, but, you know, you know, purgatory of course is, is, uh, you know, very death adjacent. Um, that's, uh, you know, one of, one of the options I'm told of, uh, where your, uh, immortal soul may end up at least momentarily. But, um, I think this is a, a great album to come out right now, uh, because I don't know, a lot of pundits and podcasters and people have observed that um you know joe biden is now our president and a prevalent theme in his life is death and tragedy uh you know familial grief and he has taken office in the middle of the biggest pandemic in a hundred years and he is like kind of our like de facto guide of of grief and apparent apparent like all these pundits they they in this narrative they make they're like yeah he like everybody like i guess there are a ton of people quoted as saying like yeah he gave a great speech at this this funeral like he's a great eulogizer and they're, they they kind of like make make a point that he's you know eulogizing our nation and you know the the modern world as it crumbles so i that being said i think a a a, a smash hit pop album about a state of purgatory and death is uh quite fitting i don't know how you feel about all of that uh word soup i just threw at you yeah i, I think there's something to that and this in spite of the concept and the, the premise of the album, you know, it is pure pop. It's the producers are that uh, uh, Ono Tricks Point Never guy and Max Martin. Uh, so this is calculated and cynical, made for the radio, made to move units as guys my age say. And yet somehow, in spite of that, this transcends the cynicism of the music industry stuff. This really is a work of art. Uh, and I hear it, again, given my age, as a, in addition to an album about death, uh, it is a tribute to the very much dead Michael Jackson. This is the album that back when Michael started to fade, I wanted Michael to make. Uh, Abel Tesfaye sings exactly like Michael. That's obviously who he's trying to channel. And importantly, Quincy Jones is on this album talking about growing old and getting ready to face death and dying with regret. So uh, this ties into my MJ obsession as well. Yeah, and uh, another... It's not a main theme of the album, but it is a, a theme that pops up in, in all of uh, Abel's music is this kind of hypersexual 
a character, if not, you know, a reflection of his his actual self at this point. I've, I've, I've read some interviews, you know, he's kind of chilled out over the last several years, apparently. But um, the, that, that Quincy Jones interlude where he's, he's speaking, also he, he discusses the death, I mean, not the death, the, uh, the fact that his, his mother was institutionalized with the dementia when he was quite young and he kind of grew up without a mother uh, to, a, to an extent. And I think that kind of like this p- part of that, the, the song that follows that out of time is kind of able for the first time, like being vulnerable in a way, like he's kind of deconstructing his own views on like women and sexuality and the, the role that I'm, I'm, I'm guessing since he, he decided to leave in that clip that Quincy had, like, I'm guessing he may have had a similar relationship, like, or, you know, a similar dynamic with, with women. And that kind of led to this kind of hypersexual nature that, you know, he's kind of been living in since he became a pop star. So I I thought that was really interesting that like an album of this kind of, uh, I don't know, just like a re it's, it, it is like an arena pop dance pop album, but it's, it's like, vulnerable in a way that you would not expect it to be yeah he really backs off the sex type talk there's the one song where he's uh uh talking about uh you know uh, it's best friends you don't want to have sex as friends no more but you know that's the exception most of this is just kind of uh very self-aware songs about regret and staring into the abyss. Uh, I don't intend, Aaron, to go through this song by song like we did with Tyler, the Creator's album in a recent podcast, but Tyler, the Creator is here. And I'm curious to know if uh, you feel he belongs because I think this album would be stronger without Tyler and without Lil Wayne as well, who makes an appearance on another track. Yeah, I I was close to drawing that same conclusion. I think my, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a a binary situation. Like, I think the album would be just as good with or without these two features, um, as they're both very short. Um, and I I did want to point out that there is like like the uh, on the Tyler album, there was the conductor Williams beat from a Griselda track that it was sampled so conductor Williams ended up on the Tyler album and Brian Kennedy uh, a Kansas City producer is on here we go again featuring Tyler the creator providing some production and keyboards so I wanted to make another quick Kansas City shout out um, but that that's one of my favorite songs on the album and in, in most part, not because Tyler's on there, but, you know, I don't hate the fact that he's on there. Um, but I don't know it. And that song in particular is one of a few that features kind of a, a throwback able flow. I like the, the instrumentation is like nothing like any of his earlier work, but he does kind of take on the same flow that um, maybe like old, old school weekend fans probably enjoy and i i guess like i i want i need to do more 
uh, a, a closer inspection of my timeline to see how everybody like I, I saw mostly praise on my timeline for this album. I was I was kind of wonder I was kind of thinking that people may have turned on him just because he wasn't making the same thing as you know he had been five ten years ago. But it, it seems like this album has been pretty well received even among people who may uh, look at stuff on kind of just face value most of the time. Yeah, I, I can envision a scenario in which he loses some of his pure pop fans support, but picks up uh, weirdos like us because, uh, you know, there are tracks like Less Than Zero, which is my favorite song that kind of has a 80s synth pop, synth rock thing. I, I hear some Ultravox and Japan and groups like that uh, on that and a few other tracks that really appeals to me. It's just right in my wheelhouse. Uh, but that seems fairly esoteric. So I, if his core fan base is a 27-year-old soccer mom, you know, with little kids, I don't know that that is what she wants to hear. Driving yeah, no, it, it is funny because the, the lead single is uh, Take My Breath, which is in reality a nearly six-minute song. But I on, on both listens, I, I just noticed how like completely hypnotic that song is and, and many other songs on this album. Like you, you can kind of just like get lost in them and they don't wear out their welcome somehow. And that's kind of just part of the magic of this album that like a lot of, a lot of people when they attempt to do kind of like psychedelic music or like just something that really sucks you in like that, they kind of just come up with a lot of noodly bullshit, but there there's, it's really substantive, uh, instrumentals and stuff and production work on on this album that i appreciate and and you're you're making references to all these kind of throwback like dance pop and synth music and stuff like that and it's funny i was i was reading in preparation for this uh an interview that uh daniel lopatin i think that's how you pronounce it uh one of tricks point never gave last year to gq about he also did some work on after hours and I, I love that he and uh abel first met i think when working on uncut gems they were both involved in that movie and i i love to just imagine these albums occurring in, like being part of the uncut gems universe just because i love that movie and the energy it has uh shout out to the safties um but um yeah, you're, you know, it's, there's, and I, I'm guessing for you, this evokes at least a little bit of nostalgia, perhaps, for some of these older styles of music. But, oh, oh, for sure. Yes. Go yeah. ahead. And so I'm, I guess I'm correcting that and likely for other folks and that you, you can always, yeah, like you were saying earlier, you can make the MJ comparisons. Like, I think you could hand this album to someone who loves like Thriller or Off the Wall and there's a good chance they'll like it, even if they have never listened to The Weeknd, but they're just a big Michael fan. So I think what's really cool, though, is like Daniel talks in this interview about kind of the uselessness and 
like the uselessness of one-dimensional nostalgia that is kind of like overwhelming American culture right now. Like every everything's a remake. Everything is referencing just shit from the 20th century. There are not enough new ideas and new things being created. And he 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 recognizes that. And I think on this album, he and Abel successfully uh, broke free of just nostalgia for the sake of, you know, like because it, it's funny. I watched. I happened to watch Midnight in Paris for the first time the other night, the 2011 Woody Allen movie starring Owen Wilson, who is is whisked away at midnight in Paris to hang out with Pablo Picasso and all of his his idols from the the 20s, like Salvador Dali and Hemingway and all these people. And he's like, oh, you guys are living in the golden age. And they're like, oh, no, the golden age was like, 20 years ago and he's like no 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 so it's 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 kind of like everybody always thinks the past was a superior time so daniel and abel recognize this and overcome it on this album by using these i I think the jim carrey interludes and the the quincy jones interludes interlude are very important to how fresh this album sounds because they they created an album that only kind of could exist in 2022 because like i think having those like these these celebrities and you know this this famous actor this famous film actor appearing uh, to narrate this album is kind of a creation of the like mcu like univ like like every like the corporate merger MCU universe that is dominating pop culture right now, but they made they they took that kind of energy and those ideas and brought it into an album in a really unique and charming and visceral way. Ditto. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I kind of just popped off for like five minutes there. I hope that made sense. No, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's really strong. It makes me uh, feel optimistic about the remainder of the year. Getting oh, off yeah. no, strong. That's, that's another note I had, you, um, optimism. I, I, I listened to this very stupid, like, social critique, politics, pop culture podcast that everybody hates, so I won't even name it, but one of the hosts i was listening to an appearance of theirs on another podcast and they were they were making some reference i don't even know to like some greek philosopher or some other just some philosopher and with that had the approach that i guess one of their outlooks was you you know humanity needs to look death and tragedy in the face with optimism to in in order to move to have any hope of moving forward and that's that's something that makes sense to me and i think that's part of the the messaging here yeah i mean what you're hearing if if we're to take this at face value is able suggesting that we go through a transition and that there is something coming after 
and not to be afraid. Yeah. And um, I, I did also happen to I, this, you know, I, Bill, you know, I'm a night owl and I actually did happen to listen to this album for the first time as the sun was rising one morning. I had a, a very early doctor's appointment and I, I, I drove and listened to this album for the first time as the sun was coming up. And it was it was a beautiful experience. I, I had I loved it. And I, I do. Uh, the only other note I had was that I love the song Gasoline. And I love that they're making that the, the third single for this album. Like it's kind of a, and the fact that it's basically the first song, the first full song on the album is kind of weird because Abel does this kind of like weird British monotone in, inflection on half the song, but it just sounds cool as shit. And I don't know, it, just, yeah, it sounds just like a cool, like it sounds like a sample almost like off, off some old like disco record or something. And yeah, I, I love that song. That's a song that is on repeat in my head involuntarily. Yeah. Even though it has lines like I'm staring into the abyss. Yeah. No, it, it, if, if any, if I think, I think that is like maybe the most like goth song on the album. Like it's very, it's, it is kind of melodramatic in that way. It almost reminded me of like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I have, I've had like a two or three year long obsession with alkaline trio and it it reminded me of like this could be love or maybe I'll catch fire, which are just these very like self-loathing, like goth style, like pop punk songs. And I'm like, that's I, I feel the same energy there. And I love that it's on this album. I'm glad we both agree on uh, Dawn FM, but I don't think we're going to agree about your selection for this podcast. Right? Oh, Bill, you're making me so scared right now. I thought we were going to enter this. I thought we were going to not fight at all on this podcast. And now I'm starting to worry. So let me with a, a this the same scared tone in my voice introduce our next album. We're talking, of course, about spelling the turning wheel released on Sacred Bones Records in the middle of 2021 spelling of course is tia cabral who is a singer songwriter and producer from oakland california she self-released her first album 2017 pantheon of me followed by her signing to sacred bones her re release of Maisie fly in 2019 and last year's the turning wheel um this came out and it was on several uh best of 2021 lists that i saw but the reason i picked it at the beginning of this new year is i don't think i saw it on enough uh best of 2021 albums and I was hoping Bill might agree with me on that, but uh, Bill, tell me why you disagree with me. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily Spelling's fault, Aaron, but you've managed to find an album that is the exact opposite of my personal taste. Mm. This is precisely what 
I don't care for. I don't like arty chamber pop to begin with. And then you add in this artist's vocal style, which is a huge barrier for me. And I just struggle through this. I've listened several times, Aaron, in various settings. And I've each in each of those settings, I get angrier and angrier as I listen to this. I have a viscerally violent reaction to this music. Oh my God. Which okay, tell me about your 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 settings. <laughs> I'm interested now. Well, you know, you've got uh there's there's headphones there's uh stereo there's night day i didn't do any morning sunsets but i've listened in the car uh i've listened in uh various head spaces <laughs> and none of it works aaron i'm oh, sorry man. i'm not saying i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying i can't stand it okay i i you're you're valid bill you're always valid um, maybe not always. Well, you know, it's up for debate. Um, but I don't know. My my pitch of this album is that it's just it contains little bits and pieces of like every outsider singer songwriter that you've ever loved. Really, that's what I took away from it. Like I, I know I know most artists, especially solo artists um hate to be compared really to any other artist most of the time but um i'm going to read this short but maybe medium size actually list of of energies that were i thought were invoked on this album it it gave me bjork it gave me enya saint vincent david byrne d'angelo FKA, FKA Twigs, and she did list. I it's on it's on her Wikipedia. She listed Iggy Pop as an inspiration at one point, and I I I felt like a little less Iggy Pop here, and maybe a little more Patty Smith or Lou Reed, but nonetheless. Um, and and do not allow anyone listening. Uh, do do not allow this to keep you from listening if you don't enjoy any of those artists because i i uh i think it's unique and worth experiencing for yourself because it's it's just a very for me a very playful and fun and adventurous piece of music uh, as as her last album was i haven't listened to her debut yet but she on this album she kind of like doubles down on all of this kind of like ethereal fairy tale imagery there are songs called emperor with an egg queen of wands magic act and i i get like that it, okay but like i i think if, if done poorly new age is capable of being some of the worst shit on earth but i i love enya and to, to me enya is new age like somehow done well and I don't know, how do, you, how do you feel about any of what I just said? <laughs> yeah, you didn't say Fiona Apple, which to me oh, is yeah. the primary inspiration. Uh, and Kate Bush as well. Yes. It, this is just so, to me, to my ears, mm. this is horribly precious and twee. And it's, it's simply, it's just, it's all unlistenable 
you know, the best I can say is it sounds like the soundtrack to uh, a Tim Burton movie, maybe. Uh, it has that quality. Late, late era and, or early era? I, I'm not a Tim Burton guy, so <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. But it's just, just those images I associate with Tim Burton. Uh, the, 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 one, the one thing, the one reason to listen to this uh, is that the production is incredible. Yeah, the, I don't the know arrangements. if she did that herself or who did it, but it this album sounds amazing, you know. But it's not it's not enough to overcome the awful songs and ridiculous voice. <laughs> no, yeah, no. The arrange the arrangements are are beautiful. Um, it, I think it a list. There's there's like a list of like a dozen or two uh, contributors on the the Bandcamp notes. Uh, if you go to the, the Sacred Bones Bandcamp um but yeah no it's uh it, there's this orchestral in, instrumentation that's very carefully and seamlessly blended with these very fun and ethereal synth sounds and then it has this kind of backbone of like standard rock and roll or like even like post prince like r&b band like arrangements you know like the same same kind of tones that you would hear on post 80s R&B um but yeah I, I'm 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 disappointed that uh Bill does not share my enthusiasm I think this album is a wonderful playful adventure and just escapist in a way that I rarely find to be enjoyable personally like in like all those artists I listed they they have material that I love and enjoy but like they're most of them are far from being like my 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 main shit you know so like I don't know yet I I was very taken aback by by this album and I wanted to share it with all my good friends including Bill Brownlee but um that's that's okay uh because we can I'm, I think we're going to, for the most part, agree um, about um, enjoying this next album. Let's find out. Uh, <laughs> uh, Johnny Taylor was born in Arkansas in 1934, uh, and he died in 2000 in Dallas. Uh, he's buried, Aaron, maybe a mile or two from where you're currently sitting in Forest Hill Cemetery in Kansas City. Interesting. Yeah, his uh, mom was buried there, and I guess uh, the plan was that he'd be buried with his mom. Uh, so he uh, was a Sam Cooke-inspired artist uh, who had a big hit in 1968 with Who's Making Love. And then uh, he kept up with the times. He did a really lewd song called Disco Lady in 1976 that was massive, inescapable at that time. Uh, he ended his career making records for Malico Records, the home of other soul blues artists like Denise LaSalle and Dorothy Moore and ZZ Hill. In 1999, his last hit right before he died, which is called Soul Heaven. And he shouts out deceased artists ranging from Otis Redding to Biggie Smalls. Uh, and this album, Aaron, came to my attention in a previous lifetime, somewhere around 
1990, I'm guessing, when I was a traveling sales rep in the music industry. And I called on Vintage Vinyl in St. Louis, a store that's still in business. And uh, one of the owners is a guy named Papa Tom Ray, who liked hazing sales reps. And I have always kind of given as good as I get. But he said, Bill, you're trying to sell me, uh, you know, the, the Stacks catalog. And, you know, I bet you don't know what the best album on the label is. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Is it uh, Barquet's? Is it Otis Redding? Is it, you know, he's like, no, no, man. It's, it's Johnny Taylor's Raw Blues. And he literally made me buy it from him that day, even though I repped the album. And Tom's right. Tom's right. Tom was right then. Tom's right now. This is, to, in Tom's opinion and my own, a classic album that is neither raw, really. It's, this is a slick produced album, nor is it blues. It's more of a soul album. But uh, and all this came to, I, I realized what a problem this is for Johnny Taylor earlier today when you were saying, Bill, you've got the wrong date on this album. It's not, uh, it's 1969, not the date you had. I have, I collect music books and I have all these reference books. The definitive blues volumes don't have anything on Johnny Taylor. The most popular soul books don't have anything on Johnny Taylor. I guess they thought the other was either blues or soul or pop. No one wants to claim this guy. Uh, and it's a shame. So I'll, I'll let you talk for a moment before I go on, Aaron. So in, in my headache is, is claiming Johnny Taylor. He's uh, in my headache core. Um, I know I had a, I had a great time listening to this album. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was going to ask you why you picked it. And that was a, a far more, uh, exciting story than I, I would have guessed. That's that, I love, I love the backstory there. Um, but yeah, no, this is just a, it's kind of just an undeniably cool album starting with the album art. I don't. I feel like we don't end up discussing album art as much as we should, because uh, you know I'm I'm an appreciator of album art. Don't don't let my lack of discussion on this podcast fool you. Um, this album cover rocks. It's like an inverted. It's like a negative, like inverted photograph of him just belting a song on the cover, and it has which is which is something that you would like. It's it kind of looks like a, a picture that would be on a like a like a late seventies like punk album, and but then it has like you know this classic kind of R and B soul typography that ties it together and makes it like you know it's kind of it's a it's a bit weirder than your average album cover, but it's very cool. Um, if and, I, I have to interject, yes. two things. One, the uh, both of the albums we discussed. Uh, previously the weekend and uh the spelling both have excellent album covers as well just yes. so that that i guess that would be the theme of this podcast uh secondly 
I, uh, I actually lost my train of thought. <laughs> we're talking album covers. We were talking being cool. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Uh, I think the album after this is called like Johnny Taylor and Outer Space or something like that. Uh-huh. And he's literally on the album cover wearing an astronaut suit. That's great. We love it. Um, no, and something, you know, I, as, as anyone who has listened to this podcast knows, I'm, you know, Bill is uh, my superior in his knowledge of uh, pre-90s music um, in, in pretty much every form besides maybe hardcore punk. Um, but so I was, I was doing a little digging around as I was listening to this album and it kind of seems with the turn of the decade, um, R&B and soul were both, were kind of revolutionized in a sense when there, there were several classic albums of those genres that came out in the first couple years of the seventies, like James Brown, Al Green, Curtis Mayfield, Stevie Wonder all put out like classic revolutionary shit in the early seventies. And this seems this album executed perfectly is kind of what your standard, like, like I'm not calling it a standard R and B and soul album, but it's very, it's very, the, the songs and the compositions are very by the book. But that being said, they're executed perfectly. Like he's a great vocalist. Uh, all, all the right, like half the writing on this album is from uh, hey, Isaac Hayes and uh, Porter. And there, there's one song written by Sam Cooke. Uh, he, he, and he, he actually, I was researching, he, he sang in a gospel group with Sam Cooke in the 50s. Am I correct? Um, yeah, there's a connection there. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's by the book, but it's the book done perfectly. Yeah, this you're you're absolutely right. And this is the kind of music they got left behind by the Stevie Wonders and the Marvin Gaye's. And then later the just, just you know, Rick James and yeah. uh, Prince and so on. But what, what also happened here is you'll note, Aaron, that there were zero guitar solos on this album, mm. none. none. And Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, took the blues audience away with their music and made that the dominant form of commercially dominant form of blues, which left guys like Johnny Taylor, you know, in the dust. Uh, so they ended up Johnny Taylor and Denise LaSalle and people like that, you know, ended up on these small Southern labels. And there's still a scene, you know, for artists, play, you know, doing this kind of music. There was Lattimore for a long time was the top guy. And uh, even now there are, you know, summer festivals featuring this kind of music. And uh, needless to say, I'm the odd man out when I show up uh, every year at these things. Maybe, maybe I can, uh, maybe you can be my date this year, Aaron. Uh, that, would, that would be a blast. It is, uh, it, it is so fun. Uh, so, so yeah, all, all these songs, as you said, are about pain. These, this is like grown up music about your woman cheating or cheating on your woman or 
not having enough money or having enough to show out, uh, going to church on Sunday morning, uh, bad women treating you wrong, treating good woman wrong because you're a bad man. <laughs> it's, but it, it, it's also compelling, isn't it? Yeah. No, yeah. Did you, do you have any particular favorites on this album? I'll add a couple. Uh, the, the songs with jokes are my favorite. Uh, there's a song called Pardon Me Lady, which is just, a, it's, 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 it's probably not appropriate, you know, and hashtag me too times, but you know, this guy's coming on pretty strong to a woman. It, it strikes me as very funny. Uh, that bone is, uh, yes, let's go that bone. It, it's so funky. It's raunchy, it, but it, but it, it's, it's raunchy without getting corny. I feel like songs of this era when they got you know when they had a bit of a sexual tinge to them it got like kind of like all the all the the like words they would use back then like would just make you laugh now but like that, that that's kind of a song that holds up somehow and i i love that it, it is it's so funny when he talks about uh you know the whatever it is the the leg bones yeah. connected to the thrill bone yeah <laughs> we love the thrill bone <laughs> folks don't we love the thrill bone and it's, yeah. um, that's also connected to the the chill bone that's right <laughs> that's right uh the uh, the uh opening track where the smoke there's fire is you know the classic uh you know he thinks people are cheating on him and because you know everyone he can hear everyone talking behind you know behind his back and it is very very funny yeah. And he, he know it's funny on purpose, of course, but the pain he's expressing is real. Yeah. And uh, as as you as you kind of introduced it, you're talking about how this album is kind of overlooked uh, in relation to its peers. But I, I think in particular, just a straightaway soul banger is you can't keep a good man down. It's a banger in every aspect. And to me, it seems like within, at least uh, within this album, I haven't list, listened to his other material yet, but it seemed, that song sounds like it should be a well-known classic of the genre, but I've, I don't know if I've come across it anywhere before now. None of these songs were hits. Hmm. Shame. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he had to compete against, you know, Otis Redding and so on. He's on the same label. You know, there's there's a lot working against him. And again, you know, is it soul? Is it blues? Is it pop? Uh, I think being all those things at once worked against him his entire career. He was just he was too good at too many things. And the the, the little the people's 1969 brains couldn't couldn't process it. It's a it's a crying shame. Indeed it is, uh, but I'm glad we are able to bring it to people's attention now. Yes, shout out, shout out to Johnny. I'm a, I, I will certainly be visiting his, his plot at, at some point. I'm, I've made a couple, two or three visits to Forest Hill at some, at, over my time living here. And uh, it's a very, uh, on, on a nice day, it's a very beautiful uh, cemetery. So the, um, I'm going to go pay, pay my respects. I have a lot of kin there and in the same cemetery and, you know, right behind the main building 
as you pull in the driveway is Buck O'Neill's grave. Mm. So yeah, we can we can uh, do a tour together when it warms up, Aaron. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Bill, tell us where to find all of your shit. I don't know why you have to call it that, but uh, <laughs> I did it. I did it to bother you. The I continue to write things that annoy you, Aaron. At therestandstheglass.com. I, I will say it's it's bit we haven't we haven't done this in about a month, and you you went right back to your your old man shit. <laughs> yes, I did. And every time I do it, I'm like, boy, this is going to. I need, I need it. Aaron. This is me yanking the chain back. I'm I'm reeling you back in. I'm, we're we're talking, we're, we're talking that bone. We're talking the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I say. I sometimes I save things for the podcast rather than uh, write them down uh, that site. Uh, I also uh, document Kansas City's jazz scene at plasticsax.com. Uh, my work there allows me to occasionally vote in year-end polls, and I'm very aroused that a Spanish avant-garde jazz site asks asked me to participate in their poll ellentruso.com <laughs> so you can see my uh, mug shot there with alongside my votes and uh, uh, my selections for noise jazz with my European peers amazing uh, is this I, I feel like I always see a year-end uh, jazz list uh, on a like that you've contributed somewhere. Is this the same site that you no, do that, it with yeah. every year? Is, I also I thought do, there was just one that, yeah. Yeah, I also did the, uh, what last, up until last year was the NPR jazz critics poll. Uh, but there was some bad publicity because in previous years, someone did a study in previous years before I was asked to join, by the way, uh, uh, something like, you know, 90% of the, uh, people receive votes were men, and mm. that uh, was looked at askance, and rightfully so. Uh, so now uh, another uh, site has uh, picked up that jazz ball. But yeah, I did that. I also am in, and this is so exciting. This is another Aaron Rhodes trigger. I'm also in the Jazz Journalists Association, and I voted in their poll as well. I hate journalists. They're the worst. Really, There's, just did. <laughs> it's it is it's 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 uh well you know it you, you we were talking i'm, I'm uh, a journalist i hate but i hate journalists that, that's no, all. No, you were you were mocking uh uh the idea of jazz journalists when it comes to the uh as they appeared in the kenny g documentary which i highly recommend by the way oh yeah no the no that's yeah that doc i i've been i recommended that documentary to my parents last night after they told me they got HBO and I'm, my mom's like, you, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to Kenny G. I'm like, you still need to watch it. <laughs> but, it's so funny. I, I, uh, am still considering, I don't know if I should spell it all out here because, uh, I just listeners should know Aaron begged me to, uh, pick Kenny G as, uh, one of my selections for uh, this podcast. I don't, I don't think I begged you, Bill, but I just, I think I said it would be uh, fun to discuss him, but I'm sure use whatever words you want. You're a journalist, you're 
you're well known for uh, twisting people's words and lying and uh, other nefarious deeds. Uh, people, on the other hand, can also go to shuttlecockmusic.com and read about uh, all the all the cool, fun music stuff happening in Kansas City, Missouri, USA. And they can follow at ShuttlecockMag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The web store is shuttlecockmag.bigcartel.com. Um, it will be out by the time you're listening to this issue five of Shuttlecock Music Magazine uh, with the cover star Kansas City rapper D-Walk. Um, and other fun, cool articles to read with your eyeballs. Um, there are many shows I have booked coming up that hopefully all can occur. And yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll see you guys uh, again sometime. Bye.